Welcome to a special episode of Counter Stories, a show by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. We have a special panel today, and I'm going to let them all introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is May Esperanza Los Loso. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a mother, a community activist, and I do policy and advocacy work on behalf of children and families. My name is Kurt Rukim. I use he, him, his pronouns. Super glad to be here. I am someone that does not typically have a microphone in front of my mouth, so this will be fun and joyous and silly. Hi everyone, Mabuhay. My name is Marianne Quiroz. I identify pronouns she, they. I am a Filipina immigrant and I also title with Indigenai, which is Indigenous Inai. I am an islander mama and grandmother, as well as co-founder and director of Indigenous Roots Cultural Arts Center. Yeah, my name is Kai Su. Uh, I am a Chinese-American and um, my parents are immigrants from China and we've been in uh, America for the last or excuse me, in Minnesota for the almost for just over 10 years now. Great. I want to thank you guys all for joining us for this um, somber, but um, hopefully healing conversation that we're going to have today. And, um, you know, what really comes up first was Lunar New Year. And um, that's something that we haven't talked about yet on Counter Stories. And so I would love if you guys would just give us a little background on what, you know, Lunar New Year is and what that means. Yeah, I mean, so many Asian countries uh, like celebrate Lunar New Year, and I feel like we all put our own little like different twists and uh, unique spins on it. Um, so I'm really curious to see. Like, I only know a little bit about like what it's like as for a Chinese American, and even then, like celebrating it in like in China is a very different experience than what we can do in in America. I guess I just want to share my childhood memories. So New Year is um, a very important time in the Philippines and growing up in the Philippines. I just remembered uh, my dad would have his bills ready, his pesos ready and some coins and he'll always throw it up. And everyone gets when I say everyone, I feel like he it was everyone. But I know myself, my siblings, cousins received the red envelope. Uh, we would always light, you know, candles for the ancestors and have food out. And of course, after we immigrated here, that practice wasn't as uh, prominent um, anymore or even practiced. Uh, we definitely assimilated. And but with the with the grandkids in in with my children, my father has kind of taken up his Lolo role of giving out the red envelopes again. And so usually that's what we do is, you know, the kids already know it's Lunar New Year because they're getting red envelopes. But I also try to tell them it's actually much more than just getting red envelopes. It's really about sharing abundance and prosperity and good health and knowing that we have um, uh, a, a a uh, male figure in our family that takes on that provider role um, for the Lunar New Year. And so for me, it's a, a really vivid childhood memory of, of fireworks and a lot of food and a lot of coins. So that's what I remember Lunar New Year, New Year to be and how we practice it here in Minnesota currently. Mm. Yeah, Lunar New Year is something that is new to me. Um, when it comes to like, what are the specific celebrations? Uh, as a Korean adoptee, it wasn't something that I grew up celebrating. However, uh, the idea of getting together to bring in a new year and actually really appreciate Lunar New Year 
um, that particular language as opposed to like particular countries New Year um, and also carving out space that there are differences like for Korean it's like solal um, and that there are spaces to have that nuance and difference and to name that people can celebrate the Lunar New differently. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, I actually, my family didn't really celebrate it growing up. It was more, I spent time after college living in Japan and Korea, and Korea, you know, there's definitely a lot of traditional celebrations, but as an expat, you know, an American living there, I didn't quite get as involved. It was more my time to travel. And sometimes we would go to other countries that were also celebrating, so my friends and I would just get involved in whatever was going on in the streets or, you know, what we were able to access. So I experienced it more as an adult. And I think just being more in community with other Asians, learning more about it has been really good, especially here in Minnesota. There's so many, so many kinds of Asians. So like there's so many of us and different ways to celebrate. So we're making our own traditions Mm -hmm. as we kind of stay in this mixed blended community. Mm-hmm. No, and I always, I'm fascinated by calendars and cycles because all of us are programmed and um, assimilated and conditioned to just celebrate Gregorian New Year, which is obviously um, a colonized calendar. You know, we can go on about how the Gregorian New Year came about and that calendar cycle. But then I say, okay, if it doesn't, if your New Year resolutions doesn't work out in January, there's Lunar New Year in February. And then there's <laughs> right. Mexica New Year in March. And then there's Cambodia New Year in April. So I feel like, you know, we're always in the, we're entering that season of, of spring, of renewal and rebirth. And so it's just good. It's also another perspective that our cycles are all different and that at the end of the day, the most consistent cycle is always going to be Mother Earth cycle, right? She's mm-hmm. always going to be dormant in the winter and resting. And then she's going to come out and blossom in the spring. And in the summer, she's in full bloom. And in the fall, she's going to, you know, begin to um, close up shop again, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I always follow, I feel like if, if there's anything that we can follow, it's the the um, mother nature cycles and and everything that the forces that surround her, which is the moon and the sun. And so for me, it's I think New Year's in any cycle is always great because we have to go through this process of analyzing who we were in in the past, whether it's the year, the day before, the week before. And who are we as as soon as the sun rises? Who do we want to be and who are we? So, yeah. Yeah. In in Chinese culture. Um, so part of celebrating New Year is is like cleaning out um, your, your whole house, dusting everything, getting all the like the old things out of the house, and um, that's how you like welcome the New Year by making space for. for and comedian Ronnie Chang, he has this bit about uh, for Chinese New Year, like Gong Shi Fa Tsai is like, I hope you get wealthy, and <laughs> it's like all the things that we say so to celebrate funny. is all just like different forms of like, I hope you get wealthy, I hope you get money, yeah. hope you get lots of money. <laughs> I think that's the thing too. I mean, back in the day, it's like, okay, I hope you get wealthy, and that yeah. has a different connotation back then. When we say someone is wealthy, it's really that they have a lot of good health, right? That their 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 house, they have a roof over their head that. It's not falling apart that they have wealth in their home. They have wealth in their health. And now it's like, give me my red and envelope with the dollars, (laughs) with the Benjamins. But yeah. What what do you call red envelopes in Tagalog? Tagalog? No, I... 
we don't have it. I, maybe we do. Maybe my dad says it, but I was just like, yeah, where's our... We just say our New Year envelopes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we don't get any envelopes any other time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so diverse. You know, and I know some, sometimes people think like I celebrate Lunar New Year and we're like, our New Year's are, 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 are different. Um, but I guess because I'm Asian, they assume... There, I was like, oh, what year, what animal is this year? And I was like, I, I don't know, whatever the internet said it was a few weeks back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never really paid attention to the year, like which animal it I was. I'm actually curious, do, do people know like their lunar new year, like their animal? Do you all know what year you were Like born? your zodiac, Chinese zodiac animal? I guess that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. like, like what it is? I was born the year of the ox. I know that. Oh, okay. oh me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm the year I'm of the dog. Oh, you're a dog. I'm oh. going. I'm monkey. I am sporting I rabbit earrings for a year of the rabbit, though. No. Or cat. Or cat for our Vietnamese folks, our Vietnamese had, relatives. One time, um, some of my white friends asked me, like, what's my sign? And I was like, oh, I'm like... Goat, and they're like, that's not one of the options on the. On the <laughs> they were talking that's about, they were talking about yeah, the astrology. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, I'm the greatest of all time, <laughs> right? So 2023, yeah. it, 2023 is the year of the rabbit. Mm -hmm. In case anybody is wondering, none of us here knew it, so don't ask us. I, well, I now said we know. I had my year of the rabbit earrings. Oh, you are wearing. Yes, <laughs> I, I know what year is every year because my dad tells us uh, every year. Like, there's, you know there's what some year? Good collective is. knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Yes. But yeah, no, for real though, it is year of the cat for our Vietnamese fam out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I love this conversation. We're all laughing and having fun. And anyone who listens to Counter Note Stories knows that I'm a bit of a downer. And uh, something happened the week of Lunar New Year that affected the API community a lot. Um, it should affect our whole country and all communities, um, but specifically was, was was hurtful for our API community when there was a shooting in Monterey Park that left 11 dead and more wounded. Um, I remember waking up to the news. I kind of felt like, and I was just reminded, Marianne just reminded us before the, we started recording that it's also coming up on the two-year anniversary of the Atlanta murders. Of the woman in the mm -hmm. the woman in the massage parlor, um, but it was just like again, you know. And then I really, I honestly, like, I didn't read any of the articles. I didn't read any of. I never read comments, so I didn't go there. Um, but I just, I tried. I really tried to stay away from it as long as I could. Uh, what What was y'all's reaction when when you first heard that? So I was the opposite of you. Uh, that Sunday morning, I usually just check the news uh, out of habit um, because I do that for my work as well. So Twitter, unfortunately, is where I get a lot of information, and that's kind of where it hit me. And I was really scrolling all day because, you know, there wasn't a lot of information at the beginning. It was more because this happened very late at night, so everything was just fresh. And I just wanted to know, like, what was going on? Who was it? I think the, there was a big gap in knowledge of, like, who did it for a while. Mm -hmm. And the question was, like, who was the shooter? Was this a hate crime? I think whether people were saying it out loud or not, 
people were thinking it. I definitely was thinking it. Like, who was the shooter? Um, and what does that mean? You know, I, I, it was terrible, like a terrible act, but that definitely adds another layer based on what has happened in this country, especially recently. Um, so that was, for me, like a very challenging uh, day, just thinking about all of the things. And I, I think I decided to turn it off, like, way too late. I did too much scrolling. Um, and then the next day was when I started uh, checking in on people because I knew a lot of people were celebrating Lunar New Year like that day. So it was just the timing of it. Are people feeling like they could celebrate? You know, what does this mean for my friends who uh, were gathering in with their families and their, their loved ones? Yeah, I learned about the shooting from a social media post of someone and then it then dawns on me, well then how far will I check out this rabbit hole? Mm. Seeing the headlines, you know, in terms of gun and then murders and then fill in the blanks. Uh, and that to me has been like a journey of deciding how much I choose to engage in that, particularly as someone that is a survivor of gun violence in my own experience, that trying to like do more than what I'm capable of um, has been something that I've really had to navigate in moving through the guilt or like I could have, should have, would have, like mm. why am I not, but actually saying that mm, I get to like wait and a response that may come a day or a couple days later is just as sincere and heartfelt as something that comes out immediately Mm -hmm. And why do I feel like I have to have an immediate response? And yes, for those who want immediate responses and can do that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not the metric that I'm going to hold myself to. And I have to sit with how that lands for people and be okay with that. Yeah. So I think I found out through TikTok which <laughs> noise, <laughs> which I have I feel a little embarrassed to say, <laughs> um, no. but it was. I think for me, initial reaction was just there was so little information about it. It was hard to know what to react or what to think um, beyond just the general like, concern for our like collective Asian safety. Um, and it was interesting that like one of the um like the content creators I followed um she was like she was she was giving she had more information than like um like western media had or at least that's what I think was happening um because she was able to read chinese and like that mm -hmm. those communities have a lot of chinese speaking people and um so she was reading, she had information from like a Chinese news source. Um, but it was also hard because like, like I don't have as much experience with Chinese media. I don't know, like, you know, what's the, what's the, you know, propaganda station? What's the, what's, yeah, what's the, the fake news? Yeah. Yeah. What's the high quality one? Right. What's the, the one that's like liberal leaning or conservative yeah. leaning? Um, so it was like this weird, like filter through, Two layers, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I, I gave myself time to to not have to process, not have to react, mm -hmm. um, and slowly like 
learn more about it. Um, and I really appreciate this space being able to like talk, process it for myself and also hear what other people within my community are, are experiencing and feeling. And um, hopefully we can have some like positive things come from this, even if it's just like, you know, for ourselves and for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that there's, a, it's just the balance of things, right? Like the duality, the yin and yang of, you know, the positive and negative. So I think that'll naturally, this that will naturally come out of this. Um, and there's something about death that brings people closer um, and folks grieve in different ways. I was just coming back from, I was out of the country and then I came back. So I, and I'm not feeling guilty or shamed about this, but I actually don't watch the news. Um, I, I know that immediately locally, like there's so much things to attend to here. And Trevor Noah's leaving Daily News. So I'm like, (laughs) Daily Show, and what am I going to watch now? But, you know, so Democracy Mm -hmm. Now! and PBS, our things like that, I do watch here and there. But for the most part, I know what, and, you know, Black Press, Georgia Fort, like that's actually the news I'm probably Mm -hmm. more connected to because it's here locally and it's very much more representative of the the communities I, I work with, you know, the communities I belong to and identify with. So when I learned about this, I can't remember. It must have been on social media. And I remember telling my partner about it. And I was like, yo, there's like there was a shooting. I was like, this is crazy. And immediately just went to our altar ofrenda that we have in our home and just lit a candle and really just created space. Um, not only for the folks who, who were shot and died, but really for the folks that are that remain here that have to carry on that pain. Right. And in hoping that those who were killed, that their journey onto whatever the next, whatever their belief system is, whatever the afterlife looks like for them. Right. Having a a safe journey to that um, because they were their life was taken in such a a violent way. Um, And so our ancestors are on there. You know, my Lola's are both are on there. My cousin, um, we have family relatives on there. So there's always flowers there. There's always candles. There's always food and um, sacred items on there. Um, and so as soon as anyone walks in, like they understand that this home is protected and guided by our ancestors, our home. And so I thought about that. And as we mentioned, like it's almost we're coming up to the two years of the Atlanta shooting of the eight women. I think there was eight people killed and six of them were women who worked at an Asian spa in Atlanta and five days after that shooting, I I was in such a grief and so, so sad. And I was like, how could this be? How can my uh, my own aunties, right? My own titas, like our, my own lolas, like these are the grandmothers and aunties of the community. How can they be targeted? Like they were just minding their own business, right? Um, working. And so myself and a group of youth actually who were checking on me and were like, are you okay? We ended up organizing um, a vigil out in Phelan Lake um, that five days later, and it was just really good to be in community. But then I also understand that, like what Kurt shared, like it's just the, sometimes we're just burnt out, sometimes we're just exhausted. And the pandemic, honestly, honestly, the pandemic has just slowed all of our, 
beings up a little bit and slowed it down. So I feel like even taking this time to reflect, being in conversation, being in dialogue and taking time to reflect of what we did witness, not being immediately at that event or at that celebration, but being here in the Midwest where the Asian community is, we, we're we pretty large in number here, right? In demographics. So I think creating space for that is always great. And more importantly, I love what Kurt said is, I'm taking care of me. Like, what is my capacity? What is my role? Um, where, how can I honor, um, how can I honor these people who have passed on, but also honor myself? Because at the end of the day, you're still here. We're still here. So how do we carry, um, carry, carry hope forward? Um, so yeah, that's one of the things I actually um, heard a couple of weeks ago at an MLK event. And Martin Luther King Jr. being, you know, nonviolent, right? That was his his foundation of organizing and mobilizing is nonviolence. Is um, so Pastor Carl Johnson said had this speech um, on MLK Day, and then he shared that we always have to look to hope in the chaos. So the hope in the chaos, right? Like we, I mean, just imagining all the folks running around or us not feeling feeling alone or feeling isolated, feeling marginalized, but we always have to look for the hope in the chaos. And so I see that in my children. I see that in, in the babies, our babies in the community. Um, I see that in when someone tells me that they're a dancer. I see that when someone tells me like, you know, I um, am listening to this podcast or I'm going to organize this dialogue. So I just, that's the hope in the chaos for me is um, continuing to stay grounded in community as much as I can anyways. One thing that uh, May mentioned that made me think about the existence of both, that when I learned about the shooting, I had a post on social media. And I remember taking the impulse to, to actually remove that because it didn't feel like it was capturing a moment mm -hmm. that was happening. And then I can remember feeling like twinges uh, either like resentment or bitterness towards other people that were posting about Lunar New Year that weren't talking about the shooting. And it just makes me think about that it is a time to celebrate. It is a time to rejoice. And the fact that the shooting happened and for that moment all I was fixated on like was let's, I need to see how like painful this is. And I think that to me, as I have a moment to kind of like reflect on that, actually really appreciated the people that were able to post things about Lunar New Year beyond the shooting. Mm -hmm. Not that it was erasing it or saying that it wasn't important, uh, but that was the interesting like shift for me that I'm just noticing in this moment. Nice. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I, and I was like, yeah, people should celebrate if they can, right? I've, I think that there's room for for all of these truths to to exist, and there's room to be happy and sad and grieving at the same time. But it's hard to compartmentalize that. I was sharing with folks how the Monday after the shootings, I've just felt I I kind of wanted to take the day off, but I wasn't sure if I really could, you know, because taking a day off means you have to make that up another day. So I was like, I don't know if I want to deal with moving meetings around. So I did it. I I said, I'm just going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to face when I get there. But not just work, but other spaces felt like no one was really talking about it. And that just, 
it made me mad. <laughs> it made me angry. So I felt I was already angry, right, from the day before. And my initial reaction was like, it's the guns. <laughs> it's always the guns. <laughs> Why don't we understand this? And I'm still angry when I think about Sandy Hook and Uvalde. Like anytime when they're killing the babies, that just to me is the most angering and saddening experience. And now like after I learned that um, there were mostly elders and I'm like, now they're killing my parents to me. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Now they're killing my grandparents, mm-hmm. my parents. So it felt very personal. And I was just mad that people were not as mad as me. <laughs> yeah. Like, why aren't you mad? Why aren't you doing something? You know, I, w- I was feeling all those emotions, but because I felt like I needed to keep up appearances. I stayed mostly silent and I only confided in those who really knew me, right? Mm. Who I felt comfortable raging. I'm like, I am so mad. (laughs) Um, And texting them, mostly one-on-one text. I do much better in one-on-one conversations. Uh, So, Girl, when I got a text from you at like 11 p.m., I was like, what went down? Exactly. (laughs) So who knows? (laughs) I was just so angry and like going through all the emotions. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I was at. I was looking for like-minded people, but I also wanted to respect people's process and people's space and celebration, right? Because people were taking time off for the holiday. So I didn't want to encroach upon family time. Mm -hmm. So it it took time for me to want to process. And actually other people in the community pushed back and said, well, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. You need to get off your phone Mm. (laughs) and you need to get some sleep. And I said, you're right. (laughs) So did you listen? Did I do it? Did you? Yeah, I did. I, we have children. (laughs) Do we really sleep? We don't really sleep, but I decided to focus more of my attention on my family instead of doom scrolling. (laughs) Yeah. You're listening to a special episode of counter stories. I'm Halili with guests, May Esperanza Lasloso, Kai Su. Marian Queros, and Kurt Rukim. This show is supported by Ampers and the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For a full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. Podcast listeners, stay tuned at the end of the episode where we present the Rad Asians chant. One thing I've heard, and we've since learned that the shooter of um, Monterey Park was Asian. Um, One thing I've heard is, aren't isn't it good that he was Asian because this isn't a hate crime then? Um, when you kill someone, it's always a hate crime. Anytime. I think it doesn't matter. It's, it's hate. Like if you if you have no rem- if you can just go out, wake up one day and you're like, I'm gonna go on a shooting spree, that's hate. There is no other foundation or reasoning with that. Um so I, I, I don't know. I mean, if the people are saying like, oh, it's not anti-Asian or it's Asian hate, doesn't it's a prim- predominantly, I mean, that's an Asian man that literally hated himself for being Asian. Therefore, he could kill another, his own fellow Asian people. So I don't know. I have, I have all kinds of things about gun violence, but... That's, maybe that's another story. I, I ranted on that in the last show, too. I know. I'm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the fact that this was somebody within the community doesn't change the fact that there are people who were injured and and like no longer alive, and that's just a 
really short-sighted way of looking at um, this event that happened. Um, it's upsetting that somebody would say that that that's somehow like a mitigating factor in in this event. I did hear somebody say they're like, "Oh, I was I was thinking it was a white guy," you know, and they're like, "But I guess what did they say? They're like, maybe." I guess it's it's better if it it would have been worse if it was a white guy. I was like it would people would have been people are dead regardless at this point, right? So I mean, but again, we're such uh, our this country is so embedded in like race and race wars and 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 it, that exist. But I think you know, looking into this, it's almost like. There's a shooting every week. There's a shooting every day. I mean, we're literally... I've lost track. I mean, we have to come up with definitions of what qualifies as a mass shooting. It's it's an upsetting thing to even... There's research now that when they published it, they had they had to quantify, like that it had to be a certain like over three, I think, and that it that doesn't doesn't include the shooter themselves. I just couldn't read anymore. I I saw it and, and like Kurt said, how far do I dig into this? And it was like taking that deep breath, and I'm like, okay, what can I do at this time? Okay, I'm gonna honor those people, right? But that's that's sad. Yeah, I mean, it's just sad all around. I do think for me the the fact that it is an Asian man does bring into question or shed light on our relationship, particularly like my relationship to my own masculinity and Asian men, and how easily will I discard men that look like me? Will I claim this person as my community member, as someone that is part of me, or will I say that he was not part of us? Because he did this horrific thing. Mm -hmm. And that to me is an important question to wrestle with as an Asian man and also someone that's part of this community. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can celebrate someone like Brandon Say, who I learned about on Good Morning America because I took the day off on that Monday. And he was able to actually confront the shooter um, and actually wrestle with him and the way he talks about the actual experience where when he did manage to get the gun away from the shooter, point it back at the shooter, and then literally try to intimidate them um, to get them to go away. Like He made a choice to, to decide what will happen. He wasn't just like, I don't know why you're here. I'm just, you brought a gun in, I'm going to shoot you. And to me, that was really compelling. Obviously, it's a horrific thing. And I'm not here to micromanage or analyze his behavior or decisions, mm-hmm. but to me, the fact that this person who was there checking people's tickets or whatever uh, did something in the heat of a moment that prevented more life mm-hmm. from being lost and preserved life or gave life an opportunity to continue in another way and absolutely celebrate Brandon, absolutely uplift him and would I give that same uplifting? Would I show that same care for this other Asian man? Mm-hmm. And what are the metrics that I will define who does and who doesn't get that type of care? And that's something that I and I think other Asian men have to wrestle with uh, and confront. Can I also just say, it wasn't a good guy with a gun who took him out, as the pro-gun lobbyists say. 
The mm-hmm. only thing that takes out a bad guy is a good guy with a gun. That was not the situation. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Wait, repeat that one for the mic. <laughs> <laughs> because that's there's the talking point, right, for the pro-gun folks is the only thing to take out a bad guy is a good guy with a gun. But that's not true. We've seen it before in other situations, too, where somebody was able to wrestle away or talk someone down without using guns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I think, you know, oh, man, it's just so many shootings, right? Like the one over um, at Jimmy, Jimmy Lee, Lee. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like we look at youth workers as, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in general, right? Youth workers love youth. And so to, to hear that um, a staff member, an adult um, shot a child, a youth, a young person, it's like, no, there's no, there's no good guys with guns, Um there's good guys. There's good people, right? There's good people. There's good people, but guns are guns. And we can't even blame the gun because the gun is an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. It's the person who's handling it. And what is their mental health? What is their emotional health? Like all of these things. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of conversations around gun violence, but it's just, yeah, I didn't even know all of those things. I feel like I'm learning more about the the shooting here than I have because that's the other thing. It's like, I don't know if my heart can take it. I remember how I was pretty messed up with the Atlanta shootings. I was really, really sad for a full, like, mm-hmm. month and beyond. Um, so, yeah, I guess. You, I sound, you sound like me now. Yeah, I mean... Sorry, I'm bringing you guys all down. No, I don't think it's bringing us down. It's just the reality of living in this country. Yes, exactly. It's the reality. Because this is not happening in the Philippines. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, yes, there's shooting. Other things are happening. Other things are happening in the Philippines, (laughs) and the government is shooting all of us. Exactly. um, (laughs) But so shooting is also happening in other countries. But I feel like in this... In this context, it's just, you know, when we're talking about people are in their businesses or in their they're celebrating something, they're at a park, just enjoying their youth, just all of these things um, or just trying to get home. Right. They're just driving home. They're just trying to get home. Yeah. It's a uniquely American thing, mm-hmm. like backtracking a little bit. But um, part of the definition is like it's not. Uh, gang related it's not like a robbery or violence or some kind of crime thing it's not like part of politics it's just a thing that happens um, that is uniquely American that other countries don't seem to encounter in the way in the frequency and the the viciousness and um, that we encounter Um, and I want to go back a little bit to what Kurt was saying Um, as Asian Americans we're oftentimes like so starved of representation and there's so much like, like, yes, this, this is one of our people and no, this is not one of our people. They, they, we don't, that, that person doesn't represent us. And, um, and I certainly like understand wanting to distance ourselves from, from somebody who has done awful things. Um, and at the same time, like as an Asian man, um, where oftentimes I I don't feel like I am part of like, um, I don't feel seen and I don't feel like people um, like see that I can be like hurt and that I can, that I have feelings and that I have um, 
like the, the world pushes down and presses down on me in certain ways. And they oftentimes don't feel like they're visible. Um, and just because other people don't see them doesn't mean that I don't experience them, that I don't feel, mm. you know, the hurt and the pain. Um, and, you know, there's just like a lot of, I guess this is my experience as an Asian man, but it feels like there's a lot of, um, when it, when I speak to other Asian men and I can be vulnerable with them, they oftentimes understand this, this like burden that we uniquely have. And sometimes other people, you know, will understand as well. Um, but looking through the lens as an Asian man and looking at these two, um, shootings, it feels like I'm, I'm pretty sure both of them had some level of like, um, like loneliness, some level of like social isolation. Like one of them, uh, the ballroom shooter, like they were no longer welcome at, at the, the ballroom because, um, they had poor behavior, but they seemed to really enjoy dancing. They were one-time instructor there. Um, like they were jilted that their ex-wife was invited to this ballroom, but they weren't. As, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about like my young self as like a teenager and not being invited to things. And it feels like, um, I don't know, like painful for like an older, you know, elder within our community and um, to feel like, this amount of hurt too. And again, this is not to justify like anything mm -hmm. that they've done, um, but to, you know, maybe acknowledge that, that they are in emotional pain too. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. I keep thinking about the concept of beloved community. Yeah. And this is something that I've been working myself to, to do, like to embody and practice. And one of the pieces is, Beloved community is everyone, those you agree with and those yeah. you don't, those you love and those you don't. It actually really means every single person. And so how do I love someone? How do I show love or care when this kind of act is happening? Yeah. Right? But you really described there could be so much more that we don't know. There is so much we don't know about any given person, but that doesn't mean inherently they are good or bad, we we have all of those inside us. Like me right now, <laughs> I have all of those things happening. But that doesn't mean that we should be, you know, shot at any given yeah. place while we're living our lives. So I just think of that just balance of how do we hold space and show kindness to people uh, at, at any time. And like there could be other things in that person's life, right, that led them to that moment. We may be only talking about a slice of what happened that day or that week, but they were 72 years old, I believe. And so that's 72 years of life, a life led. So many things have happened. I mean, I'm, I'm only in my forties and so many things have happened to me already, <laughs> like an additional 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I just think about how just in community we are with each other. And like, we really don't know the depths of what people are going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's hard when you don't know, what trauma that they've had before and mm -hmm. what they're currently going through mm -hmm. and wanting them to, to be a part of the community. But also like mm -hmm. you kind of have to follow some rules. You have to have boundaries to some level and you, you know, be understanding. <laughs> At a base yeah. level. Yeah, base yeah. level. <laughs> right. Don't shoot people. Yeah. And I want to just drop this in. Um, Kai, when you were talking about the shootings, we do want to mention we we're also talking about um, the second shooting that happened not long after that first one. 
at Half Moon Bay, um, it was as they're describing it as a workplace, a disgruntled employee who was um, charged a hundred dollars for equipment, and he was upset because he felt like it wasn't his duty to pay for it, that his coworker was responsible. Um, and he had a fight with a coworker and their supervisor, uh, whom he, he then shot. Um, we're also learning that the workplace was a dump and was not up to code in any way. Um, and they were working in squalor, basically. It was, it was a terrible working environment. Um, so now, you know, of course, oh, they're cooperating, quote, Air quotes, cooperating and making sure they're up to code now. So it's like, you know, we're already put in these like terrible positions and these horrible jobs that, that nobody else wants to do. And then it's terrible working conditions. And then your supervisors and your bosses take advantage of you by saying, well, equipment is broken. Now you pay for it. And then we have people who are very vulnerable and I, I said this on the show last week, but there's a lot of toxic masculinity going on here as well. Um, everybody, uh, the thing that people are talking about, I mean, in the media, at least in the mainstream media, is the ages of the two gentlemen, right? Mm -hmm. They're not talking about the motives. They're not talking about the people who died. They're not talking about the people who are left. They're talking about, oh, my God, two old guys did this. And the, the media... I mean, mainstream media, we can just say, has a lot of work that needs to be done. I remember, um, when was it now? In 2019, when there was a, a man, four Hmong men were killed. Four is what's considered a mass shooting. And um, CNN wrote a headline that said, the Hmong community in California is experiencing another American milestone, their first mass shooting. Wow. <laughs> And I see that the uh, Wall Street Journal posted a headline not long after the shootings that read, um, are there too many Asians? This country is obsessed with bigger, more. It's just like the quantity, it's numbers, it's who's better, who's worse. It's, yeah, I mean, just those. And right now, you reminded me why I don't read um, <laughs> news yeah. uh, because of titles like that and the, like how mass media just portrays our people. Right? Um, I think we were doing a vision board session with Falk with the Funny Asian Women's Collective here at Indigenous Roots a, f a few days before the Monterey Park shooting, and so we're like, you know, channeling like, oh, what do we want for the news cycle of the year? And if you haven't done a vision board, like you go through like magazines or whatever and you cut out images or words that you want to like put in. It's really fun, like artsy activity, whoever thought of it on Etsy or craftsperson, yay, because it was fun. But we were talking about how those magazines are so whitewashed. Like we're like, man, none of these <laughs> things even pertain to. We used to do those vision boards to like lose weights. We'd like cut out pictures of of women's whose bodies who's, we like who it was like a girl activity like yeah okay but not for fuck i just want to okay, say yeah. that okay that, this, Hali is talking about a different group she did a vision boarding with um and but but to that note it's like most of these magazines were like you know white folks and then just i think mine didn't even have any people i think mine was like picture of islands and i'm like that's where i'm going this year <laughs> 
And then I'm going to remodel my bathroom. But so it was like a tub. I don't know. But I think what I'm trying to say is that the media plays a huge role on on gun violence, whether they want to take accountability or not. The media plays a huge role on race wars and how we um, how how divisive it can be. Right. It's like the old. Um, it's how colonizers got the, their way here. It's divide and conquer, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we're not united, if we're constantly like, oh, we don't have to worry. It was Asian on Asian crime, right? Like the same way people are like, oh, it's black on black crime. So we don't have to. It's not really our problem, but it is. This is definitely a national problem. This is a national issue. This is about the safety of us, right? As people who who live and work and want to do contribute many beautiful things to this to this land and to one another so I just feel like there's yeah there's no accountability and I don't know it seems to be kind of this I'm also in my 40s like me it's just this endless cycle of of what can we do so I think for me I I tend to kind of live in a bubble here at the center at indigenous roots and um which is like a blessing and a curse. But I, I see a lot of beautiful things that happen here and also, you know, the branches that and, and communities we're connected to. So I don't know. I It's hard, y'all. I'm hearing more about it. Thanks for the TikTok tips. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I got to fact check those before we publish. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's on TikTok. <laughs> he, he cited it. <laughs> he cited it. This is bringing up a few things because the second shooting was at a, f- a farm, right? There were farmer farm workers. And just thinking about the history of who tills this land in this country that was colonized, I like that just, it, it, I feel like I'm doing gymnastics in my head. Mm-hmm. That how does that make sense, right? That we are killing each other. On this land where like our ancestors, like the farm workers, I'm thinking of like the grape strike. Uh, mm. There were Filipino farm workers and Mexican farm workers tilling that land in California. And just all, all of that history to to create wealth for this country. And now there's the, such huge, you know, this is such a sad, tragic moment ju- juxtaposed with that history. It just makes me like confused (laughs) like makes me also tired that like my brain thinks like that and also angry that people don't think about that (laughs) and also he was 66 years old the the gentleman in the um um half moon base shooting was Mm -hmm. and he's still working in these terrible jobs i mean Mm -hmm. it's it just comes back i always in my brain comes back Mm -hmm. to voting you know, it's who, who who you vote for who make these policies because we're looking at a 66-year-old guy still working, right, and in these labor positions and then yeah. is getting charged and for equipment that is yeah, belongs also, to the company. I want to also mention that there's oftentimes like a myth that Asians are like doing really well financially in America, mm-hmm. and it's particularly like East East Asian Americans um, that were very wealthy, we're well off, we have all these resources, and some of us do have these resources, but it's not just a sweeping generalization. Both of these men are elderly or close to elderly, and like 
if they were in, if we didn't know anything about them and they had walked into one of our spaces, like we would have treated them with respect and Mm -hmm. as if they're elders. And a lot of these victims are also elders. Like it's not like they just went after a bunch of people of random ages. Like these people were elders and it, it feels, it's really heartbreaking to have them like in these like poor work conditions. Um, and again, just dispelling that myth that Asians are are wealthy or well off or have or just all of us have tons of resources to us. That's why it's like when Crazy Rich Asians came out, I both loved it and hated it. Yeah. I I don't know the the wealth gap or the what do you call the income economic gap is so huge in the Philippines. Like you knew who was poor and you knew who wasn't, right? And then now I think back, I was like, yeah, man, I don't think we were, I was like, yeah, we were poor, you know, like Langit Street, like it's super tiny. And then I would look back on some of like our outfits and I look back now in my 40s, I'm like, we were not poor. I went to a private school, right? Like my, um, we had uh, a nanny that took us to school on the Jeep, the Jeepney and brought us back, right? Both my parents were but then we weren't like really rich either. So I guess that we were like the very, very, very um, few middle class if there was a middle class. But still, we weren't. It's just this um, again coming here, though. It was almost like, oh, you guys are Asian. So you must already have X, Y and Z. Right. Like all the stereotypes that came with it. And like I said, the media just does a really great job um perpetuating those stereotypes and continues to do so even though we're like no that's not true and look at the next generations that are are now here right like the next generation of asians like second third fourth fifth tenth generation of asians and they're still in the same situation or income level Mm -hmm. because it hasn't shifted as as much as people are thinking for asian communities I sometimes hear the people say stuff like, oh, well, well, you guys are new, like for Hmong people. You guys are new, you know, so it's, it's, we get that why you guys are still poor. <laughs> like, you know, that kind of thing, like, oh, it's a new community, so you guys haven't built up your wealth yet. Like the Chinese, those guys are all rich, you know, because they've been here forever, but you guys are newer, so it makes sense that you guys are still poor. And when people say that to me, they, they, they think it's good. You know, like they think mm-hmm. it's not, listeners, it's not. It's not good for Hmong people. It's not good for the Chinese people and the Japanese people that you compare us to. It's not, don't compare us. Just don't compare us, period. One of the things that as I'm listening, it's just bringing to mind is the structural pieces that put people under more duress and pressure that the cause for violence then just continues to make more sense. That's how this country resolves its disputes. It's how it's modeled within our media. Dominance, take control, take someone's life, and then you win. Revenge is the best dish kind of thing. And my background in dance, and particularly for the Monterey Park shooting, where in, you know Chinese elders, immigrants, going to a space to dance, to move. So it's a place of leisure. It's a place of sacredness to move your body in a way that is not work and to have that space violated 
I think is a particular type of insidious insidiousness because of the way within any kind of community there are less spaces to occupy, there are less spaces to be oneself, and how that will now contribute to further minimizing the type of movements these bodies will now think are possible, which already aligns with the stereotypical Asians are robotic, we're all the same, we don't have nuance. And I think that is just super, super sad and tragic. And my guess is that they will still dance. We will still dance and we will still move and invite people to look and gaze upon our wonderful bodies Mm -hmm. uh, and move with us because that has always been the case. When it comes to the the shooting at the the farm, that just makes me think about again structural pieces of like what is it? What is the the? There's so many different stories of like you take ants, you put red ants, and you put black ants in the same container. They are fine, but then you shake it up, and then they fight each other. Mm-hmm. So how? labor is connected to race, is connected to capital, like Asians are more than just what we produce. Mm-hmm. And how do we not internalize that for ourselves and then project that onto our community members? And that's hard. And it's really hard. I want to touch on the dance piece. So I was realizing throughout last week that I was being very just you know, sitting a lot, laying down, because that's when you're, when I was sad, I was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to Mm -hmm. lay down. I wanted to eat comfort food. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Thursday or Friday. And I was like, you know, I, one thing I can do to honor them is to dance. So I, I do Zumba at home uh, (laughs) because I, I don't have like the, that it just takes too much time to go somewhere to do it. <laughs> so I actually follow, uh, I'm on a Zumba listserv. These two ladies in California do online classes and they send videos. So I was like, you know what, today for an hour, I'm going to do this for myself. And I actually did Zumba twice last week. And you know what? I also was, it was a way to release energy. But I, then I was thinking like, where's the dance community? speaking out about this. This was a ballroom dance. You know, think of like dancing with the stars, right? I can count which are the Asians because I know it's Carrie Ann, uh, who was the judge. And then there was um, one of the dancers who was uh, part Filipino. And then they had a Japanese American, uh, Japanese dancer. And that's Suni was too. Suni Lee was on there. Well, no, I'm talking about the professional dancers that have to. judges, right? Yeah. One's a judge. Yeah. There's Uh. been um, contestants, but I'm just thinking of the people that like, have they to have work. any now. I, I, yes, there's oh, a Japanese lady. At least there's lady. more than one now. Right. But I think the other lady is retiring. So uh-huh. they're really just doing a swap. But I'm just thinking about like there there was a statement released by like farm workers. There's, there's unions, right? Farm workers unions. So uh, I feel like that's been very vocal. But like where are like the dancing community? The ballroom dance community is huge and very international, right? And dancing is... As a Filipino, dancing is part of our how we celebrate, right? There's lots of kinds of dancing, ballroom to, you know, the, like the line dancing, <laughs> right? Oh, ocho, ocho, dancing. everyone, mm-hmm. people kind of know line dancing in their own cultures. So I'm just thinking about how how are we showing up for, you know, the people who have passed, their families. There was a quote, one of the, you know, the elders, I forgot, 
the exact quote, but something about like, oh, you know, this was her last dance. And how do we like pay tribute? You know, how do we keep that legacy alive? Because she loved it. She loved dancing. That was like her hangout spot, right? That's where all her friends were. And, you know, I just think about those communities where I feel comfortable. How do we pay tribute to, Mm -hmm. to the survivors? makes me think about on a totally different note when um, the Ordway had the don't uh, had the Miss Saigon come to mm-hmm. the the stage for the third time after community members organized and this would have been the first time I would have learned about it and got involved in the don't buy Miss Saigon campaign and there had been different strategies whether it be the first time doing more of like an educational about like why this is not helpful and then the Ordway brought it back and then community members organized and they brought it again back for the third time and stepping into that space where folks did not want to educate, where folks actually wanted to have a space at Prospect Park. I think that was the park that's right outside the Ardway. Um, Rice Park. Park. Rice Park, excuse me. It was a we did a march. There was yeah. drumming, there was, wasn't yeah. there? And Was there dancing? Well, there, yes. There, wasn't there, there dancing? Was a Nanya there? Yeah. I feel like I was there. I remember I being like there. there. Uh, I remember March. There was marching. There was a lot of of talking and dialogues and listening to folks. Uh, I met the young white man who plays the lead character. At the mm. time, I was working for a news outlet, um, and I and I, and as I was chatting with him, he kept saying, "Well, I'm out here because I I don't understand. So can people? You know, can I'm here to learn." why this is an issue. And so I said, well, you need to listen to the folks who are talking right now, not talking to a reporter, you know? And then he said, am I going to get shot? Oh, boy. Like he thought he was joking. And when I didn't smile back at him, he just, like, he just walked away because I was, I was taken so aback by that. Like, okay, so we're here protesting this play you're in and you think that you want to come out and learn. That's great. But then your comment is, are you going to get shot for being out here? Yeah, that's wild. I I think for me, one of the points about bringing up the Don't Buy Miss Saigon campaign is that it wasn't about educating people from my perspective. It was about claiming space and saying that regardless of what what the Ordway does, we will make space that echoes and amplifies a narrative that we will agree with and that we want out there. Mm -hmm. So it takes the Ordway out of our purview and actually decenters them. It decenters whiteness and what they do and actually puts us at the forefront about what does this community want to put out? One, we're amazing. Two, there was choreography. Yes, I choreographed and made a little video and taught people how to do some protest <laughs> chants and songs and movement together. And it was about celebration of coming together. And I think that is also one of the pieces that is really incredible about when people gather that the pandemic took away because people were in such isolation that we we didn't forget how to do that, but we had to relearn again how to orientate together. And I think that's one of the things that organizers will continue to reinvent and figure out how to get people in the same place at the same time doing relatively the same thing because it is magic based on people's schedules, lives, things they have going on. That to me is always a place to sit in revel in organizers' amazingness, which is also part of the people that are here at this table. 
Yeah, I was thinking that's that's why we are here. And actually, that's what the capacity I had, right? Part of this based on how where we are at. And I've organized large events, smaller events, like all kinds of things. But to me, this like small table, that was it. And my hope is that our conversation ignites something somewhere. Like I don't necessarily need a visual right now because I can do that for myself, right? I can light my candles at home. But how is the community doing? How mm-hmm. how are the people who are quiet doing? What's going on under the surface? Those are the questions I still sit with. And I, I'm okay not knowing the answers. I'm trying to be okay not knowing those answers because I, as you heard earlier, I need, I crave information, right? I want to know what's going on. But I think sitting with all the sadness, the grief these past few years has allowed me to create more of that space for myself and for other people um, and welcome when there is pushback from the community to say, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, let's mm-hmm. let's talk when we both are or find other outlets that make sense. So we want to say the names of the victims. Mai Mai Nian, Li Lian Li, Xu Zhen Yu, Moi Dai Ang, Hong Ying Jian, Diana Tom, Yu Leng Gao, Chia Ling Yao, Valentino Marcos Alvero, Wen Tao Yu, Ming Wei Ma, Ju Shen Liu, Marciano Martinez Jimenez, Ai Xiang Zhang, Ji Chong Chang, Jing Zi Lu, Ye Tao Bing, Jose Romero Perez, uh, who is also survived uh, by his brother and uh, who is also a victim, Pedro Romero Perez. So as we close up here, I'm going to take a book out of uh, Anthony Galloway's play, um, In Racial Reckoning, and ask you all, how are you being you in this moment? I'm being me by putting this show together. I'm really excited about this and I'm really excited about all of you guys because you all do amazing work and you're all amazing people. Um, And so, and to be in person. Uh, We have not done very many shows in person yet and I felt like, May and I both felt when we were organizing this that we wanted to be in the same room with, with each other as we processed through everything that's happened. So how are you being you? I think I'm being me by having this microphone in front of my face and not overanalyzing what comes out of my mouth. Mm. And I think that practice of self-editing, try to be eloquent, try to be witty, and that would cause me to hold and bite my tongue a little bit harder than what I'm experiencing in this moment. I'm not someone that is very religious. I was raised Lutheran. And there is a prayer or a poem, depending on how people call it, that I've been really gravitating towards. And it's called the Serenity Prayer. And it's been speaking to me a lot. And it goes like this. And this is a quick adaptation. But uh, to the Creator, may you grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And that to me has been quite compelling because 
there are so many things outside of my control that I want to control. And then there's the hard work of actually having to decide what am I actually capable of doing in my lifetime or in the future generations, knowing that I would be just a speck here, contributing, listening, and dancing beautifully with all of you people here. It's okay. <laughs> if you weren't over on the other side of the table, I would come hug you. Yeah. <laughs> Can I give you a hug? No, but tears flow. Not right now. Oh. Yeah. It's good. I'm glad you're crying. I'm probably going to cry at some point, so I'm glad you're just letting the tears flow for all of us, for those that hasn't caught up in processing or just kind of like stuck and... I am really grateful to you for putting this together um, because, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, you know the work I do. You know the mama work that we both do and um, time and capacity is such, it's it's a yeah. lot. So for, for you to be able to just pull this together is huge. It's already huge. And even though there, it's just the five of us in here, there's like, Thousands of ancestors, mm -hmm. right, in this room with us. So I just, you know, thank you for your leadership and thank you for your care. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your compassion because we need that because folks get desensitized with news like this. Like, oh, another shooting or another this, another that. So thanks for just reminding us um, yeah, and, human I, side, you know? and I feel like there's tremendous bravery too. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of silence around this and I've also contributed to that and making time to, to speak up and just say something and talk about it. Um, I absolutely think is a tremendous act of bravery. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not exactly sure what's going to come out or what's mm -hmm. going to happen and what's gonna, what we're going to say or what the results are going to be. They're just, yeah, creating this space, mm -hmm. you know, you this intentional space, like we're going to talk about this. Yeah. I think that's how I'm being me is that I cry in public <laughs> and I don't care. I've, I've actually consciously decided that my emotions are an asset mm -hmm. and emotions, it's okay to feel. And it's okay to mm -hmm. show, mm -hmm. show the emotions in whatever way it is because... Holding it inside is, I think, what has harmed me in the past mm -hmm. and what may, it may be happening to other people. But I'm I, not doing this for other people, right? I'm doing this for myself and for my child, right, for the future generations because I don't want them to think because I'm male-bodied or whatever that I can't feel, I can't cry, I can't mm -hmm. scream. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And then what, but then how do we hold you? How do we hold you after, during, before? Mm -hmm. That's to me. And I want to hold that for everyone who is feeling some kind of way. Like, you know, how can we hold you in whatever way that makes sense? Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to be held, that's cool too. <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna come back. <laughs> that's kind of what I hold. That's how I am. I want to check in. 
I want to see if, you know, the, that's the question. Have you eaten, right? Mm-hmm. Have you eaten is the way mm-hmm. to show care. So I'm going to ask, have you eaten? <laughs> Girl, Are you okay? Snacking. That's what the first thing I did when I came here is what I, I made food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, like being a good listener was one of my strengths. And I really valued all of the words and the insight that all of you shared. Um and really taking that in and, you know, after this this recording is done, I'll be definitely thinking about and reflecting on on all of your words and, and your wisdom that you're sharing. Mm. I'm being me here and now. Um, indigenous Roots is my second home, probably my first home. I spend a lot of hours here. Um I hear my children running back and forth. I'm sorry, Hilly, that probably got picked up on the mic. Um, so this is home. This is our second home to us, first home. And so I just show up as I am, you know, in my, in my Chun-Li Street Fighter outfit. I'm not wearing a, an office outfit. I have my, I'm just wearing my comfortable clothes, organizing, doing the work. And in the part of my... One thing I'm really grateful for about this job, about this role, about this space is that I get to listen and meet new people and listen to new stories and new perspectives and just new, just about other people's lives because I think that's the way we're going to stay connected as humans is just knowing that there are so many stories there. So really grateful for counter stories because that is the, the foundation of that work, right? Like hearing the multiple perspectives and so, yeah, I'm just being me, being me, you know, me. <laughs> and we love you. <laughs> I did do something weird this week. Well, not weird, but it's just something I don't usually do because I'm not a dancer in any way, shape, or form. But I was in my house, and my husband had the music on. He was, I think he was making food in the kitchen. I was in the living room with my dogs, and I just started dancing. Mm-hmm. Out of, like, random, I like ballerina, fake ballerina, leaping gymnast type dancing. I was dancing with my dog, you know, and it made me feel better. I didn't even know what I was sad about. Mm. You know, it was just one of those days where you've worked 12 hours and you're exhausted and then somehow you get this energy to dance. And so um, let's keep dancing, as, as, as Kurt said. We'll keep dancing. Thanks for joining us on Counter Stories. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and producer of this podcast. I'm Maya Speranzo-Losloso, mother, activist, and uh, policy person. I'm Kurt Rukim. I'm just here, and I got sometimes good things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Marianne Quiroz, um, Filipina Indigeni, that's my indigenous Inai that I'm putting out there. That's how I identify. Uh, thank you. Kai Su, uh, Chinese American and somewhat reluctant Minnesotan. This has been Counter Stories, a co production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. Can I share the Red Asian chant with your listeners? Yes! Yes. So this chant emerged out of uh, a group that started as APIs for Black Lives, and then we didn't want to be model minority activists because we needed to center our own experiences as Asian folks. (laughs) And we decided on the name Red Asians. And this was something that I 
created with the help of many others uh, and continue to remember this. It's on my bookshelf. It's on my bookshelf. Sure, sure. Oh my goodness. This is gold, y'all. Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, people want to know, people want to know who we are, who we are. So let's tell them, so let's tell them. We are Red Asians, we are Red Asians, Red, Red Asians, Red, Red Asians organizing, organizing for liberation, for liberation. We won't stop, we won't stop until the violence stops, until the violence stops. Cause I see you, cause I see you, and you see me, and you see me. Our people be free, our people be free, our people be free, our people be free. Nice. Yay. <laughs> Thanks.